and welcome to From the Platform. I'm Tom and this is Naomi. Hello. Welcome to, uh, we're going to call it Series 2 because we've had a hiatus of about eight months and in which we've moved house. So there's an excuse for you. But also I have been putting together a series of nine videos that kind of summarise quite a lot of the content from the last was it 16, 17 episodes that are being released on the WCF's uh, website and their YouTube platform. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for you to go and have a look at. They're kind of eight to ten minute videos that go over the tools that we kind of explored in the last series. Also in this in-between period, uh, I've been doing some more reading and listening to uh, interesting things that are going to form the basis of series two. Maybe where should we start with this? So we did series one, which sounds very impressive, which was, so the aim of our podcast is to promote good communication debate at church through self-awareness. And series one was a lot of kind of different ways of communicating and being more self-aware. So we had like non-violent communication, uh, like listening techniques, we looked at the moral matrix and even like transactional analysis and things like that for thinking mm -hmm. about the way that you communicate with people. And also thinking about the way that you think yourself, like mm. your like your moral matrix is the way that you, you're predisposed to think a particular way. Yeah, yeah. That so that kind of self-awareness stuff. So there's lots of tools for communication. And we, so obviously this podcast is for Christadelphians. So we looked at some of the history of the Christadelphian church and how what were the things that influenced it went through its inception like throughout time and stuff like that mm. it's quite interesting and I think your ideas for series two are gonna be a, a bit more down that train of thought yeah in a way if you listen to like the very first intro podcast I did which is kind of before I knew exactly where the mm -hmm. whole thing was going I don't remember any of it so uh, <laughs> some of that is um talks about this it's like what what culturally makes up a christadelphian community and can we get any insights by looking into that and i guess but where it kind of took me was yeah it took me more into self-awareness and and that sort of thing but where i want to take series two is to look a little bit more at the culture that informs christadelphian thinking and this does lead on from series one because series one as you said kind of put, pulls together these frameworks and tools. And I've learned recently through listening to a guy called John Favakey that there's a word for them that's psychotechnologies. Mm. So what is a psychotechnology? So as the word technology suggests, it sees these frameworks as innovations and inventions, which makes sense. You know, something like the four-player model, which was the last episode we did, mm. didn't always exist. That way of seeing things has been constructed by somebody and to think of it as a technology is uh possibly useful in that it, it means that you can think more efficiently about things yeah it kind of legitimizes it doesn't it like calling it a technology yeah, yeah so yeah. i guess in the kind of when you think about like mechanical technology you think about like the wheel and bridges <laughs> and then like yeah, more advanced technology with, like, electronics and computers and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But this is the idea of kind of new inventions of the way of thinking, essentially, isn't it? Like, yeah, and that's yeah. a model of thought. And yeah. in this video series that I've been doing, I start off by saying these 
ideas, they're all a bit like apps on an app store in that if you download the manual for it, as it were, by like researching it and listening to it, and then you meet somebody else who has that program installed as well as their technology, then you become compatible with them. You can talk about Cantor's four-player model more intuitively mm. and kind of understand it because you've both kind of installed the the technology. Yeah. I guess it's stuff like love languages or when you do like personality types or mm, stuff mm. like that. That's all a psychotechnology, isn't it? It's like yeah, a new invention yeah, yeah. of a way to think about things together and well, talk about it. You probably have a specific psychotechnology at your workplace where you talk about certain ways of doing things in a shorthand that is more efficient. Yeah, so like jargon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Which, medical jargon and that If kind you're of not thing. au fait with them, then you're incompatible almost and you have to you have to kind of install those pieces of psycho software in order to understand what people are talking about. Mm-hmm. Someone has to explain them to you. Someone has to unpack it all, which I think there's lots of technology, geeky things that you could go into here. Like when you install something, it's that's what your computer does. It unpacks all of the information and then builds the program out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is what we're doing with these ideas. It's like, if we spend time thinking about them and unpacking them and understanding them, then we become compatible with other people that also understand them and you become more efficient in the way that you can communicate with them. So like, if, if you know about the moral matrix and I know about the moral matrix, then I can use, use those kind of six words from the moral matrix to mean more than they might mean otherwise. I think you were saying that language is a psychotechnology, isn't it? Like, that's a huge one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing. What John Vivekki goes on to say is, so the, 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 the psychotechnologies that we've been looking at are ones that are kind of new to us, new to a lot of people, and they're kind of things that you'd learn as you go along. But what John Vivekki points out is there are lots of psychotechnologies that we use every day without really realising it because we think they're just entirely natural ways of living and thinking, but are actually things that have been culturally uploaded into your way of living because everybody else does them. So at some point it wasn't something that was known about and used and it was in a way invented or developed. Yeah. And so, yeah, the main one of this is not not language so much, but literacy, the mm. idea of literacy. OK, so if you think in, you know, going way, way back to uh, caveman days where they're caveman, caveman days, <laughs> like it's a surname. <laughs> Barry Caveman. Good. <laughs> uh, caveman days. You know, there was no literacy. There was no writing. Mm. There's maybe some cave paintings or whatever. And then, you know however many thousands of years ago by and you end up kind of you know fast forward with the egyptians and you've got hieroglyphs mm-hmm. or what are more broadly termed pictographs and this was a way of kind of being able to take your ideas and put them outside of your mind yeah right? so like an external memory from yeah. you you don't yeah, have to yeah, hold yeah, everything yeah. so you don't have to remember it all but you can write it all down on a tablet of stone or whatever i mean this becomes very relevant when you think about the law in in terms of biblical stories and stuff but the the problem with pictographs is they weren't very efficient there were thousands of these pictographs and you had to have a scribe in order to translate them your scribe was basically your modern day computer coder you know like you got coding language and not very many people know much about coding language not your everyday joe blogs anyway so you had to employ a 
coding developer to write the code for you. And that was kind of similar with the pictographs. You had to have someone who kind of probably spent their entire life. Yeah, so it was, it was basically a, a discipline, a profession to yeah. memorise all the different yeah. pictographs and be able to be a scribe. Yeah. And then there came a period around about 2000 BC, and it's and interesting, it comes out of Cana, in which a, I think it's like a phonetic language comes about. So with a phonetic language... Isn't it an alphabetic language? Well, or is it an, alph- an alphabetic, alphabetic language? language yeah. But an alphabetic language is a phonetic language, isn't mm. it? Because the letter is associated with a sound mm-hmm. rather than with a mountain or a goat with or a, a concept, tree. Yeah, with yeah. a concept, it gets us a sound. So you end up with far less symbols that can be used to mean a greater amount of things. Yeah, you just have lots of different combinations. Yeah, so there's this kind of software upgrade in, in literacy from pictographs to alphabetic language, which which makes it far, far more efficient. Yeah, it's more universal. Yeah. And more people can learn it more easily. Uh, according to John Baker, like literacy jumps 20% because of the alphabetic mm. language. Uh, from like being a very small from being a very small amount of almost professional scribes to actually being something that more and more people could uh, adopt. Mm-hmm. And so for us literacy has been internalized literacy and language like we grew up in a culture where you know literacy is is taught broadly and actually so like if i was to take literacy away from you your functionality within our society would drop mm-hmm. significantly mm-hmm. like abs- to to a massive extent there's you'd be really limited in our society if we took that away from you like most of your things that you do every day like removed but when we think about literacy and language we just think of them as kind of innate they've always been there like mm. but they haven't they're technologies yeah yeah but the way we organize our society is kind of dependent on it mm. we live as mm-hmm. if it's an innate natural thing yeah. Mm. yeah 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 so tom what does this have to do with our podcast how does this idea of psychotechnologies how does it help us to promote good communication debate in church and be more self-aware so i want this this series to focus on the internalized psychotechnologies that we are not completely conscious of Mm -hmm. and language being a typical example of that you know once you realize that it's like oh yeah that's that's something i i use all the time but that's a cool like thought experiment example Yeah. yeah yeah but there are other ones that are can be explored that are very it's very insightful to understand that oh wait that's actually a a developed idea that i'm just taking for granted but i i use it all the time Mm. john viveki has the analogy of i'm always looking through my glasses at the world and when i'm looking through my glasses at the world i don't really realize my glasses are on they're just doing their job to make me make sense of the world but when i take my glasses off and look at my actual frame so, uh, so as in you, so Tom's just taking his glasses off and he's looking at his glasses. So I look at them and not through them. You can gain some insights and be like, oh my word, these glasses are actually really dirty and they need cleaning. Or and as someone said the other day, they make you look like an old man. A young, a young child <laughs> is like, why are you wearing such old glasses? Um, <laughs> you know, the retro, the retro look. But it's this thing of like, take off the lenses that you're looking through and. And, and realise that you're wearing lenses. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's really useful. It's insightful. And you can be like, ah, what happens if I contemplate the lenses themselves mm-hmm. and or, become aware of yeah. them? 
I guess with the literacy example, like at work, you you know send like fifty emails a day, and you might be sending like a hundred WhatsApp messages alongside it. And I guess it's like stepping back and being like, "Whoa, literacy! Look at this! I'm combining letters into words and sending them." Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like stepping back a moment mm-hmm. and thinking about what you're actually using. And who's John Viveki? He is the assistant or associate. Professor of Psychology at the University of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got a really good series online called... a hotbed of controversy? It's, yeah, so that's where, <laughs> where Jordan Peterson came from. That's what you're referring to. And he's got a series on YouTube called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. And it's mm-hmm. where I've taken a lot of new ideas from, and it's been very insightful. So, what again, what does this have to do with church? you have an example for how it can support us to be more self-aware about our church practices or the way we communicate with each other? I want to leave that as a little bit of a cliffhanger at the moment because oh. that's what we're going to go into in this series is picking out the things. And for me to try and summarise any of them right now, I, I, part of the reason I do this podcast is so that I can articulate these things mm-hmm. and... So between now and the next one, I'll, I'll have kind of got it together a bit more in order to explain mm-hmm. it. But And I don't want to put people off, but like one with them is in the Western psychological tradition, the separation of body and mind is a lens that we look through all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's, that might sound really ethereal and what's that all about? But that's what I want to kind of explore. It's like some of the concepts that we think are true or not even think are true, but are just internalised. Yeah, just innate. And we need to pick them up and go, what is this thing that I'm looking through? Mm-hmm. This this Western psychological tradition that might be informing my Christian practice, mm-hmm. might be informing the way that I think about God, the Bible, Jesus, church, mm-hmm. my other brothers and sisters. Um, because we often say we should be in the world but not of the world. But when you realise that actually we're looking through some deeply internalised psychotechnologies that stem from people like Plato and Aristotle that are just like embedded within a Western culture. Yeah, and could you call them a bias as well? I guess, yeah, you could call them... Another way of thinking about it could be a bias, isn't it? It's a bias, it's an implicit bias, yeah. Mm -hmm. But these are things that are like, do I want to be looking through the lenses of Aristotle and Plato? Because... I think it'll become apparent that we are and we do all the time. John Viveki says that Western society is rooted in Christianity and Plato. Mm-hmm. And I think as Christians, we're very mindful of the way in which it's rooted in Christianity. But I don't think we're aware of the way in which it's rooted in Plato mm-hmm. and how um, that affects our everyday yeah, thinking. And I guess okay, why, is, why is it helpful to know that? Um, About the Plato bit, the Plato foot? Because that subconsciously influences the way we approach the Bible. And if you want to have a better unbiased way of viewing the Bible, then... Or maybe just being aware of biased, because you can't ever be yeah. unbiased, can yeah, you? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just a useful thing to know. And when you see it, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that all the time. And, you know, if you were to go to, like, Eastern countries, where Plato is less of an influence you experience a very different culture because it's not internalised, these things that we have. So that's interesting. So for someone who doesn't really know anything about the history of philosophy and Plato, um, 
so you're saying that Plato is a is an influence on the Western world. So we can compare Western religion to Eastern tradition, and that's basically the influence or not the influence of Plato. A lot of it. So that's an interesting. Well, not way of just at Plato. It. Like Plato is is a starting point in which mm. lots of Western philosophers stand on, and they kind of criticize and develop those ideas, and they they have their own pathway that they take. Uh, that has led us to things like Descartes and Freud and uh, those sorts of things. And as the separation of body and mind, which was very much Descartes' kind of work, I think, therefore, I am. He's like very much that analytical left hemisphere way of seeing the world. Whereas if you were to go to the Eastern philosophies, they're structured entirely differently. They're, they're not academic philosophers who have kind of gone through universities and, and education to kind of do this sort of thing. It's more the the, the mystical Eastern mm-hmm. kind of Buddhist Zen Tao stuff, which is a, a, a very different way of looking at the world, which doesn't stem from the same place. And so you, you get a culturally different way of living, way of thinking, way of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to realise what we're looking through. So John Vivek does this thing in his class where he asks his students, Who, who's, in a, who's in a happy relationship? And people put up their hands. And he says, OK, if your partner was cheating on you, hands up, who would want to know? And the same people will put up their hands. And it's like, well, but why would you want to ruin what you've got? And the answer is, well, because you want to live in a reality that's real mm-hmm. and, and you want to look through the lenses that are giving you a, a grip on reality. And so this is a similar thing in terms of like, if you're able to take off the glasses and look at them and, and see them, then it, it, you get a better idea of what reality is. I'm not sure if I completely made this point before, but we say we want to be in the world, but not of the world as Christadelphians. But if we are unconsciously looking through the lenses of Western philosophy that stem from Plato, Aristotle, all the way through to Augustine and Luther, who are influenced by Plato and Aristotle, and they have a big impact on, obviously, the Christian world, then in order to be in the world but not of the world, we should be definitely aware of these things that people might consider worldly, and in all honesty, I'd actually say that it's, at this level, impossible to be in the world and not of the world because we have so many internalised lenses that we look through. It's impossible to remove them all. And uh, if we did, you'd have transcended culture itself. So it's going back to that self-awareness of, yeah, of our own biases, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the difference between last series is we overlaid our kind of everyday thought with new psychotechnologies that we probably haven't heard of before. This is instead going, hold on, what are the ones that we are already using and do they need updating? Mm-hmm. Or just be self-aware of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then do what you need to do with that information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing that John Vecchi always comes back to in his lectures is the idea of the nine-dot problem. Mm. And what is the nine dot problem? So imagine a line of three dots and then Mm. below it, another line of three dots and below that, another line of three Mm -hmm. dots. So you've got nine dots in a a square. Mm -hmm. 
And the idea is you have to, maybe you could do it at home, you could draw out your nine dots. And then the idea is with four straight lines and without taking your pen off the page, connect all the dots together. Okay. You're going to try trying it, right? it. Okay. So there you go. There's your nine dots. So four straight lines without taking your pen off the page. And what you'll find is if you're trying to do it now, you can't do it. You always have a dot left over. Mm -hmm. Well, there is one way of doing it. But if you're, if you do it like the majority of people do it, you'll find it very hard to do. Yeah. So I look at that and I know what the solution is. And when I get it wrong, when I'm trying to remember what the solution is, it's because I'm trying to stick in, stick within the boundary that I've assumed is there. Yeah. So you've got like four edges, it's a square. And I assume you've got to work within the square. Whereas actually, because I remember you t telling me this, the solution is to make a shape that goes out of the boundaries of the square. Yeah. And that blows my mind. Well, it's literally where the phrase think outside the box comes from. It's like this nine dot problem. Because... You're always looking for patterns as a human being as to what is salient to you, which means like what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And I get the feeling that salient is going to be a significant part of the glossary for this. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So like what you're doing is you're looking always for patterns because patterns help you be efficient with your time and energy. And so when you're trying to solve this problem, you're often, you often see the pattern that the dots provide you, which is a square. And you think, okay, I've got to go round the square or through the square. Or, and you never think about going outside of the square. Mm -hmm. And this is a right and left hemisphere thing. Your left hemisphere is kind of finding the pattern and making it important, not realizing that actually there's a wider uh, context or a wider schema that you can follow, which is by breaking the square and going outside of the parameters of the box and then drawing the four lines so that you can actually cross all of the dots. And this is an analogy of the lenses that we have all the time. It's like if I'm unaware of how to break the frame of my break the frame of my culturally internalized Psychotechnology. Like, yeah, like barriers and boundaries as well, isn't it? Then I'll never be able to step outside of those and, and, and maybe have more insight because mm. I've been able to step outside of them. So, like, so when I first tried to do that, the nine dot problem, it didn't even occur to me that I was putting a natural boundary around it because yeah. that was yeah, just yeah, my yeah. world. It was like, cool, well, that's the boundary and that's where I work within. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully, what we're going to try to do is take our glasses off, our cultural glasses off, think outside and give the them a box. Wipe clean them up, tighten the screws, maybe say, you know what, I need to, a new pair of glasses or what happens if I look through this pair of glasses instead? Mm -hmm. What does that afford me? Because with every pair of cultural lenses you put on, you are going to constrain yourself in some way and afford yourself insights in other ways. And if we're able to take our lenses on and off, then we can kind of say, you know what, actually, I need to look at this problem through these lenses or mm -hmm. or buy those ones that optometrists have where they keep on you can change the lenses and they're like <laughs> you look like a mad scientist a mad i mean like a praying mantis with them on don't you know, those big things anyway so that's what we've got to look forward to if that didn't make much sense hopefully it will make sense as we go on um, yeah, we haven't done this for a while. Yeah, we're rusty. But those videos are available. They're being released weekly at, at the time of recording this. At least five videos are up and out. 
and there are nine in total. So that'll take us through to like exciting uh, January. All right, that's it. Um, it's good to be back. Thanks for listening. We do get some encouraging feedback from people, which is great. So see you next time. <laughs>